Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. The, the latest Republican scam to screw working class people and uh, help out their billionaire buddies, that is the billionaire buddies of the Republicans, has to do with the so-called open the state orders and Trump's executive order about meatpacking plants. The simple fact is that when governors and employers both say that the workplace is or can be open, workers no longer qualify for unemployment or other benefits if they're afraid to go to work. And unemployment benefits are ultimately paid by the employer, the company, through the unemployment fund in the states. So when a lot of people claim the employer's rates go up and those employers give a lot of money to politicians. Because of Trump's incompetence, uh, you know, because it's left the nation without adequate testing, workers are now forced to choose between possibly killing themselves by exposing themselves to a virus, a deadly virus, or killing vulnerable members of their family, on the one hand, or losing all their benefits, going hungry and possibly ending up homeless, on the other hand. I mean, the final middle finger that Republicans are giving workers and American consumers is a legislative attempt to outlaw the right to sue employers or businesses for putting them in a situation where they might get sick or die. Seriously, Republicans want workers to have all the responsibility, all the liability for deciding whether to go to work or to starve without any good information from testing. At the same time, the Republican Party wants to make sure that their fat cap billionaire buddies and big corporations will never be held accountable and will be able to make even bigger profits by not having to pay unemployment benefits. It is time for a political revolution. I'm telling you, it is time. Uh, Gabe Ortiz reporting over at the Daily Kos. Donald Trump says he's going to use pandemic relief funding to extort so-called sanctuary cities. This is what he said. Quote, now, if it's COVID related, I guess we can talk about it, but we'd want certain things also, including sanctuary city adjustments, because we have so many people in sanctuary cities. Right. Police departments actually like sanctuary city programs because in order for the police to do their job, as the group America's Voice pointed out, quote, in order for the police to be effective at their jobs, they need to be able to work with immigrants who can report crimes, give tips or testify as witnesses. In order for immigrants to trust the police, they need to know that an interaction with law enforcement isn't going to lead to deportation. End quote. Sanctuary cities overall have 15% less crime than non-sanctuary cities. This is from actual research. Quote, another found that two-thirds of the cities that had the highest jumps in murder rates in 2016 were non-sanctuary cities. The ACLU came out and tweeted this morning, we cannot allow the Trump administration to exploit a public health crisis to further their anti-immigrant agenda. Meanwhile, apropos of what I was just ranting about, Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa, again, keep in mind these big corporations, they don't like paying unemployment benefits. And so they go to Republican governors and say, you know, here's some more money for your reelection. Please screw the workers. Right? That's what's going on, in my opinion. Iowa's warning laid off workers that they'll lose their unemployment benefits 
if they refuse to return to work when their employer calls them back. Governor Kim Reynolds is moving to partially reopen 77 in the state's 99 counties this Friday. Restaurants, bars, malls, fitness centers, retail stores, Iowa Workforce Development, you know, basically their Department of Labor in the state, is warning that failing to return to work out of fear of catching the virus will be considered a voluntary quit and disqualifies you for unemployment benefits. By the way, Iowa has one of the fastest growing rates of coronavirus infection in the nation. On top of that now, you've got Mitch McConnell saying that if he's going to bail out states and cities, which is going to be necessary, if he's going to do that, he wants to make sure that there is a, a law in place that says that if your employer creates a dangerous workplace, like these meatpacking plants that are ignoring U.S. Department of Agriculture suggestions and CDC suggestions that you know people be six feet apart from each other, they slow down the assembly lines, all this kind of stuff, you know, it'll reduce profits somewhat, but it'll save lives. But the Trump administration made all of these suggestions voluntary from the Centers for Disease Control, voluntary suggestions. And OSHA making this stuff voluntary. OSHA is part of the Department of Labor. The Department of Labor, of course, is run by Anthony Scalia's son and Secretary of Labor's, I think it's Eugene Scalia. You'll recall back when Congress mandated paid sick leave during the pandemic, they excluded 80% of Americans. Judd Legum writing about this over at uh, popular.info. If, you're, if a company has more than 500 employees, they don't have to pay sick leave. That's 80% of American workers. So you get to choose between coming to work sick with coronavirus or not getting any kind of compensation or a paycheck. So, you know, the, what's the Senate preparing to do? Well, this. Uh, McConnell said that a liability shield for business and health care workers will be his, quote, red line because, McConnell says, quote, trial lawyers are sharpening their pencils. Right. The law is actually quite specific. And it's going to be really, really hard to sue anybody, frankly. The law says, quote, if your employer, this is from the Department of Labor, if your health is compromised due to, quote, your employer's negligence, recklessness, or willful disregard for a safe work environment, you can, quote, recover damages for lost wages, medical expenses, and pain and suffering. In other words, you can sue if your employer is responsible. But it's almost impossible to prove that you got coronavirus at work when there's community transmission. I mean, it's just, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult. But with this liability shield, it just makes it easier for employers to say, you're, you're going to come to work, you're going to work in these horrible conditions, and if you don't, you're going to get fired, and you're going to get no compensation, and you're not going to get unemployment, you're not going to get food stamps, and you're not going to get anything. Let's just dump all the costs, all the burdens on the workers. And in fact, as Justin Wolfers, a professor at the University of Michigan, says, we actually want businesses to be to be scared of liability. You know, the Chamber of Commerce and Mitch McConnell saying, oh, you know, we don't want our businesses frightened. That's wrong. Businesses, we want them to take responsibility. Justin Wolfers of the University of Michigan says, all of tort law is about creating a strong incentive for people and companies to not act badly. What's crystal clear is if you let employers off the hook, they won't take safety precautions. Incredible. Meanwhile, in Florida, the state has told medical examiners to stop reporting the cause of death. Medical examiners' death count for coronavirus was 10% higher than the official numbers that DeSantis' Department of Health was releasing. And Dr. Stephen Nelson, the chairman of the State Medical Examiners Commission, says, uh, well, we're going to change our policy. <laughs> right. Uh, why? Privacy concerns. Seriously. It's crazy. Donald Trump risking the lives of thousands of people. Over 100,000 people work in the meatpacking industry nationwide. I think it's 137,000. You know, he's basically demanding that these meat places stay open. Meatpacking, you know, which is basically where they're cutting up carcasses. Forks Over Knives is this brilliant movie that came out of, I believe it came out of the Cleveland Clinic. 
or at least it features the Cleveland Clinic, which is you know a world famous medical institution up there with like the Mayo Clinic. And what they found, they were doing this research decades ago, and they found that vegetarians had less heart disease, and then they found that vegans had way less heart disease, and then they found that people with heart disease could actually see that reversed when they put them on a vegan diet. So they have over on their website at ForksOverKnives.com seven things that happen when you stop eating meat. Number one, you reduce inflammation in your body. And we're not talking about the short-term inflammation, you know, like a, a, a wound or something. But this is chronic inflammation, which causes our atherosclerosis, you know, hardening the arteries, heart attacks, strokes, diabetes, and autoimmune diseases, among other things. Plant-based diets are naturally anti-inflammatory, high in fiber, antioxidants, and phytonutrients. They lower the inflammatory triggers, like saturated fat and endotoxins, which are found in meat. Number one. Number two, your blood cholesterol levels will plummet. They will fall radically. Number three, you'll give your microbiome a makeover. The bugs in your gut will get healthier and things will work better, shall we say. Number four, you'll change how your genes work. Going on a plant-based diet actually, along with other lifestyle changes, can actually lengthen your telomeres. In other words, lengthen your life. These are the genes that you know determine how long we live. Number five, you'll dramatically reduce your chances of getting type 2 diabetes, which 38% of Americans have or are pre-diabetic. Number six, you'll get the right amount and the right type of protein. Contrary to popular perception, meat is not the only source of protein. In fact, vegetable protein is a higher quality than meat. And number seven, you'll make a huge impact on the health of your planet and its inhabitants. This at the time that, you know, that we have shortages of poultry, beef, and pork, and we've got stores that are literally having empty shelves. While 20 of our workers in these meatpacking plants have died, 6,500 have fallen ill. Uh, It's spreading from, from, you know, meatpacking plant to meatpacking plant. Governor Kim Reynolds in Iowa is telling meatpacking plant employees that if they stay out because they don't want to get sick, they don't want to die, that she's going to be the one who uh, is going to cut off their unemployment benefits. And meanwhile, the uh, fake meat, Beyond Meat and Impossible, Beyond Meat saw their shares jump 49% last month. People are moving from meat to plant-based meat alternatives. And, you know, if you, if you really miss burgers, try an Impossible Burger. Whopper is open for, for you know, window delivery or carryout. Burger King, rather, and the Impossible Whopper is actually pretty amazing. <laughs> and, you know, it, it really tastes like meat. I mean, so much so that, you know, I, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this, a, is this real? Seriously. So Steve Bannon went on uh, Sinclair Television with Eric Bowling and accused China of, quote, premeditated murder. Trump was asked about, did this come out of a Chinese laboratory? And he said that he's seen evidence of that. And uh, and the reporter said, well, whatever. Well, I can't tell you. Literally, he said, I can't tell you that. So whether or not this came out of China or came out of a lab in China, and if it did, the theory is actually Trump raised the, the question of whether it was intentionally released, right? He literally raised that question, which is like, talk about breaching diplomacy. But in any case, the idea that the Chinese would intentionally release a virus that would attack and kill thousands of their own citizens in the same town where the lab is located is laughable, right? It makes no sense at all. I mean, if you're gonna commit bio-warfare on somebody else, You release the pathogen on their property, not your property. I mean, just this like fails the common sense test. And all the scientists are telling us, you look at the DNA of this this, uh, virus. And in fact, there's a a lengthy piece in the New York Times yesterday afternoon that has graphics and things and lays it all out. You look at the DNA of this virus and it's clear that it came, you know, from a bat in a wet market. So anyhow, Trump is trying to do this, so, but, but it raises the question. If Bannon is accusing China of premeditated murder, Trump is accusing them of possibly having done it on purpose. What does that say about Donald Trump? Donald Trump, who was warned in November by his spy agencies. In fact, we, our government, warned Israel that this was coming in November. Presumably they warned other countries as well, but it, you know, in Israel it's leaked and it's in the Israeli press. 
in November, we had satellite images showing that something was going on in Wuhan. We had spies on the ground. And those spies said, you know, there's a virus that's ripping through this town. And, uh, and you know, Wuhan's a big town, 10 million people. It's, you know, much larger than Detroit, I believe. But it's sort of the Detroit of China. It's, you know, manufacturing floor, as it were. So does that mean that, you know, if Trump decided after having been warned in November, warned in December, well, in, in December was when China acknowledged that they had a crisis. And then by the first week of January, they had released the genome. They had decoded the genome of this virus and they had released it to the world so that by the first week, at the end of the first week of January, the World Health Organization was well, there was a German company that was putting together a test kit for coronavirus, and the World Health Organization had signed off on it. By the second or third week of January, those test kits were available and being shipped to over 60 countries. But Trump didn't want to buy test kits from a German company, so we'll have Americans do it. And, uh, you know, basically nothing happened for a month. And here we have 60,000 officially, over 60,000 dead Americans. And all the science indicates that this is a dramatic undercount. California officials, this is amazing. I think this is the same logic that Trump is following, which is this whole herd immunity thing. I went off on a long rant about it last, I think it was last Friday or maybe last Thursday. And that the only way to explain what the Trump administration and red state governors are doing is that they're going for herd immunity. They think that herd immunity is the way to resolve this because then people can get back to work because they're now immune. And yeah, you're going to lose some people, but hey, that's the price you pay. The billionaires want the economy started back up again. This is Antioch, California. Ken Turnage II is the chair of the planning commission in this town. He's not like a, you know, a big-time politician. He's a small-time politician. But he posted on April 23rd on his Facebook page that the coronavirus is like a forest fire that burns, quote, old trees, fallen brush, and shrub sucklings, end quote, that drain resources, adding that society will strengthen when this pandemic is all settled. All right, Sky Palma over at Raw Story. This is the exact quote from the Facebook page from this California official. We would have significant loss of life. We would lose many elderly. That would reduce burdens in our defunct social security system. It would reduce our health care costs once the wave subsided. It would make jobs available for others, and it would also free up housing of which we are in dire need. We would lose a large portion of the people with immune and other health complications. I know it would be loved ones as well, but... That would once again reduce our impact on medical jobs and housing. Right, we just need to make some housing available. You know, kill off the old people. Take their houses. Some of the responses, one person said, except we're not trees and dead human beings don't fertilize the living. Another said, this was the favorite position of the Nazis, getting rid of the useless eaters, they called it. This, by the way, is true. The first mass killings by the Nazis were in psychiatric facilities. Again, from this person who is responding, getting rid of the useless eaters, they called it, before the Nazis went after the Jews and gypsies and the Polish, they decided it'd be a good idea to get rid of the useless eaters, the old, demented, disabled, mentally ill, physically ill, and institutionalized, which is absolutely right. So this, <laughs> this is what we've got, right? We've got this herd immunity. And, and then on the other side, you've got blue states, like here in Oregon, where we're trying to stamp out the virus. These are very different visions of how to respond. And it's, it's creating a crisis for our country because we have no unified response. We've got the White House and the red states saying, we're going to go for herd immunity. We're going we're to get as many people sick as we can deal with as rapidly as we can and try to spread this through the population so we can hit that 60, 70, 80 uh, percent, you know, once had it target. And they're encouraged by, by what looks like, uh, you know, a fact coming out of some of the research out of China and Europe that as many as half and maybe even as many as 60 percent of people who get the virus actually have an infection and never show any symptoms. But for two weeks, they're walking around shedding virus like there's no tomorrow. They're what are called silent spreaders. They look perfectly normal. They feel perfectly normal. 
but they're spraying virus all over the place as they're talking and breathing and, and jogging and whatever it may be. It's, it's pretty amazing stuff. Marsha in Fairfield, Iowa. Hey, Marsha, you guys are really at the center of a lot that's going on around this thing. What's up? Yes, we are. We've had to deal with CAFOs and much, much more. I watch your show a lot, and I just wanted to say there are so many levels that you need to look at this whole crisis with. But the biggest one I think that might affect the most people to actually react and do something and care is the human level. And when I heard about Governor Kim Reynolds' order that workers had to go to work, and if they didn't go to work, that they were going to not be able to get unemployment, that was just like, okay, honey, you go to work in that factory for a day (laughs) or for an hour even. So, you know, I I think back, you know, I'm a little bit older, and I think back to the days where there were people cared about the the pickers in California with the the big strike against grapes. Yeah, Cesar Chavez. Yes, yes. So I'm thinking, okay, A, we quit buying meat, and B, the workers quit, but they need to be supported somehow. And there have been all these concerts on TV recently where people could actually donate money to support these workers in the meantime, and hopefully a little extra money left over for the the hospital workers and for their medical bills. This is enough of a thing, enough of a crisis humanly, I'm hoping, to trigger a reaction. It's not going, you know, there... The amount of private philanthropy that would be necessary is just to the moon, else. I mean, it's just, it's, it's over the top. Right. Yeah, for I, example. I, I'm just saying that uh, I hear what you're saying. It takes a great deal, but certain things trigger humans to lay it out in very human terms. How would you like to go to this factory? And I'm just hoping that will, yeah. you know. I think what we need to be doing, though, taxes. rather than trying to raise money for these individual workers, is we need to be applying political pressure on our politicians. You know, it's going to take literally trillions of dollars, trillions. And there's no way that you can raise that kind of money with farm aid concerts or, you know, worker aid concerts and things like that. Even if you could shut down yeah. one plant in Black Hawk, yeah. Iowa, make one prime example that was highly successful, you can tell that the, the sheriff... Mm that was talking about this, he was mortified what was happening under his watch. And he, you know, he spoke in such political terms, I, my hat goes off to him. But um, in reality, he doesn't want these plants in his community. He doesn't want all this going on. No, they're going to come, these workers are going to go back home and they're going to infect their families and their kids are going to play with his kids and they're going to infect him. This is not rocket science. And guess where the prop, all the pork, which to me is disgusting, but all that goes to China. Yeah, well, Smithfield is owned by China. This is a Chinese-owned company. Marcia, thank you for the call. I spot on. Charles in Miami, Florida. Hey, Charles, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Good. Okay, great. Trump is ordering people to go back to meatpacking plants. The flying ointment, where he's saying that even if you get sick, you can't sue the employees. So that should automatically put off alarm bells there. But how am I supposed to trust the meat that's in my grocery store now when possibly the workers could have coronavirus and they can spread it through the meat. I mean, there's no scientific fact that this, that it can't happen, and there's no scientific mm-hmm. fact that it can't happen. We don't know yet. Right. I'm also in a state, I'm here in Miami, Florida. This state depends largely on um, you know people going on vacation and tourism, and I just think the worst thing possible is for you to open up this state. I mean, they come from everywhere Anyone could come here sick, not knowing that they have the virus. And next thing you know, last Sunday, we only had 400 deaths in Miami-Dade. It could explode. Last but not least, Mike Pompeo trying to blame this on China and saying they're investigating. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because what are they doing now? They are in charge. And right now they have failed in every aspect of stopping this virus from spreading. Let me riff on one of the points that you raised is your meat infected with coronavirus? Nobody knows, obviously. What we do know is that, you know, the virus can last the longest, apparently, on things like stainless steel or plastic on smooth surfaces. It's also easier to clean those surfaces. Uh, It doesn't last quite as long on things like cardboard and paper. Meat is like us. We're made of meat. And so the question whether the virus can live longer on the meat, I mean, I would love to see some research on that because that may have something to do with why it rips through these meatpacking plants so fast. I think it's more likely that it's ripping through them so fast because people are crammed so close together. 
But it's an interesting question, and I don't have any idea what the answer is, Charles. And, and uh, you know, I hope that some research comes out. But I would add, now's a good time to stop eating meat. <laughs> you know, I mean, in the last few months, uh, I've eaten fish twice. Over the last 10 years or so, Louise and I have eaten fish probably once every other month. But we haven't eaten meat since 1967. And you just don't need it. And frankly, I don't think you need the fish either. And you certainly don't need dairy products and eggs and stuff. It would be much easier on the whole planet if we all adopted a vegetarian or a vegan diet. You know, now's a good time to do that. It's, it's cheaper. It's healthier. Uh, you're less likely to become obese. You're less likely to get diabetes and high blood pressure and heart disease and all those kind of things. You know, go for it. William in Wimberley, Texas. Hey, William, what's up? How you doing, Tom? Listen, I uh, was listening to your you, you talk about your your vegan bent, and it's very interesting to me. I've, I too have practiced veganism in my life. I've actually gone for a couple of months eating nothing but raw vegetables, and I think it's cool. It's cool to do it if that's your choice. That's, I that's think a lot that's tougher. Awesome. Yeah, but you're making the same kind of arguments that people make when they start wanting to ban something. You're saying, man, no, what I'm saying, William, is is if we have a meat shortage, let me be very clear about this. It looks like we're going to have a meat shortage. And you've got Donald Trump saying that some 50 or 60,000 workers need to put their life on the line because our meat supply is so important. And what I'm saying, I would rather not have those workers have to do that. We've already had a bunch of them die. I think 20 of them now have died so far. Thousands of them are sick. I would rather not eat meat and let them survive And by the way, and plus, if the price of meat goes up to the point where it's unaffordable, there are some people who think that you can't survive without meat. And they get all freaked out and all filled with anxiety and and panic attacks and everything else. Oh, my God, I can't get meat. And the store is wiped. And I'm just saying, chill out. You'll be fine. I haven't had meat since literally since 1960. I think 67, I would say. I'm fine. That's great. That's good for you. Okay, but yeah, I have a forty-year-old son who's never eaten meat in his life. Who's who's been a complete vegan for over a decade. But I'm not saying that everybody has to be like that. But well, you're incrementally working your way to that point. And when you talk about President Trump and saying he's responsible for these workers dying because because he's that's ridiculous. Because he issued an executive order now. Yes, he did. And under that executive order, if they don't show up for work, they no longer qualify for unemployment benefits. That doesn't mean he's putting them to death. If you are forcing people to go into a situation where so far 20 out of about 50,000 people have died, can you imagine if we were flying once again, if every day a plane fell out of the sky and everybody on that plane died? That would be about the same proportion. There used to be 10,000 flights on an average day in the United States. That's what a smaller proportion. People wouldn't do it. Your what ifism is not going to fly with me. If 20 miles out of every 50,000 miles you drove, you died, would you drive? People, police officers, uh, National Guard, fire people, medical professionals, they're all essential services. And if they don't go to work, they shouldn't be paid. And if they choose not to go to work, they We're shouldn't not, get benefit. So you're asserting, William, that people processing meat are essential services i am okay well then then let's pay them really really well let's provide them with the kind of pensions that police get and by the way police uh, being a being a police officer isn't even in the top 10 most dangerous or deadly professions in the united states at the top of that list are roofers but in any case cops get good pensions they've got a strong union they get good pay particularly in your large cities uh, you know a police officer can make as much as 80 90 100 thousand dollars a year these meat workers are on the edge of the minimum wage they have in most cases no benefits they have no representation. And now Trump is saying you can't even qualify for unemployment benefits. If you're going to designate them, Donald Trump, as essential workers, like cops and firefighters, pay them like cops and firefighters. If you're going to give them a designation that puts their lives at risk, you can at least compensate them for it. They did a flyover this morning for the people that are working in the hospitals. Okay, they're essential services. These nurses. And they're generally well paid. Not that well paid. Yeah, I mean, they make a good living, but they don't get well paid like you would people, like a people. People in meatpacking plants are not making a good living, William. Or, or making a good living like you make a good living. 
This, this is not about me, William. We're talking about it's you saying that right, people should be forced okay. to go into a meat processing plant where they may die in exchange for a little more than the minimum wage and no benefits. And I think that that's criminal. I think that's wrong. The liberal I think mayor it's morally... of Boston wants to deprive people yeah. of the chance to go back to work. We're going to put you in jail if you come into work. <sighs> if you don't practice social yeah. distancing, we'll have you ticketed or arrested. Yeah. So... You're just, I, I get it. Okay, William, thanks a lot for the call. You know, I guess that's a pretty good illustration of the death cult around Donald Trump. So far, we've lost more people in less than six weeks than we lost in the entire Vietnam War. And people like William are like, well, that's okay. That's the death cult. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Kyle in Albany, New York. Hey, Kyle, what's up? I work in New York, so ever since the governor declared that we had to go on lockdown, my company is essential. We're heavy construction, HVAC, and we actually build hospitals. The mindset of the typical person that works there, they're trade unionists, and they're, I would say, essentially very anti-government, as if you want to generalize it, right? So, mm-hmm. of course... They don't believe anything that's going on. Everything that we're talking about at first with the hand washing and then the masks and everything, these guys just don't want to 
listen to it. They don't want to file the deal. And now for mm-hmm. contingency on reopening, all the fire marshals, like we have a job in Saratoga. It's with a, a university or Skidmore College. So everybody's involved, college, contractors, fire marshal. You have to have six feet apart. You have to wear masks. You have to do that. Fire marshal reserves the right to go in and all that stuff. And, of course, all that I hear about from the people that I'm working with is how they can get around these rules. And I just I just, mm-hmm. I have to bite my tongue. And I've decided yeah. that I'm going to start talking about public health. Like, this is not about you and me. It's about the public health. And if you don't understand that, I can't talk to you about it. It's like, the you know, the guy who called him. I mean, he's operating from a completely different data set than you and I are. He's living in a different reality. He believes that this coronavirus is not that bad. It's, uh, as Tucker Carlson said the other day, that it's like the common cold, as Rush Limbaugh has said numerous times, that, you know, yeah, the flu kills 30,000 people. What's the big deal? We have 60,000 dead. And the guys that you work with, and and this is the result, frankly, of listening to hardcore right-wing hate media, is that, you know, they come to believe a reality that the evidence does not support. Fewer than 1% of Americans have this right now. We've got a million confirmed cases. There are 320 million Americans. So that's like less than three-tenths of one percent. And yet we've got 60,000 dead people. Whereas, you know, in a flu season, you know, large chunks of the population get the flu. Certainly more than one percent, which would be which would mean, you know, if 1% of Americans, if we still have the same percentage of deaths and we had 1% of Americans who had it, 3 million Americans, you could assume that you would have three times 100, you, you'd have 1.8 million, you'd have 180,000 dead Americans. Or if it was 10% of Americans, and I, I frankly don't know what percentage of Americans get the flu every year, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was 10%. Let's just use that as a, for hypothetical purposes. If it was 10% of Americans, and with 1% of Americans, you have 120,000 dead, you'd have 1.2 million people dead. And that's a hell of a lot of dead people in the United States. I mean, now you're approaching the number of Vietnamese who died in the Vietnam War. And, uh, but as long as you've got you know, Trump and Pence and right-wing media saying, basically, on behalf of billionaire business owners and big corporations in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, who want to keep the money flowing. It doesn't matter if vulnerable people die, particularly if they're mostly old people and mostly black people. This is their mantra. Hey, it's just killing old people and black people. Why do I care? The mantra of, you know, the white working class. The reason why you should care is, number one, it can kill you. In fact, it looks like it's killing a lot of people with strokes and heart attacks that aren't even being diagnosed as COVID. The death rates are up substantially in pretty much every country around the world you know, the non-COVID death rates, and, and uh, you wouldn't expect that. And secondly, you can bring it home and it could kill your parents, it could kill your friends, it could kill your kids, but we have these two different realities and it's real unfortunate. Lynette in Waconia, Minnesota. Hey, Lynette, thank you for listening to KTNF also. What's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Uh, that guy that called earlier named William, I believe that's Billy in Texas. He just changed his name and maybe his number has changed. I believe so. Yeah, he always starts out the same, calm, uh, polite, and then it always goes to the same place, nowhere and yeah. nothing. It's, but anyway, it makes me sad and mad at the same time because uh, it's like in, Amer- in America, like I've tried to tell people about that movie, Michael Moore, Where to Invade Next, you know, and mm-hmm. if you said that to that man, William, and you said, you know, people in Germany get like up to six weeks paid vacation, you know, and he's like, he would be like, well... Oh, you mean they're forced to take vacation? Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> and it's like, this is what I hate this phrase yeah. that I hear people, the right wingers say, radical, you know, um, liberalism. Or it's like, yeah, we want you to have health care and, and, you know, good paying jobs and a nice life. Oh, my God. Be very afraid right. of that. It's just so insane. And I'm so sick of this it's, same. It's, it's like it's, in it's India, so they call these... these people the untouchables. You know, they do jobs that no one else wants to do, which is, you know, with the meat packers. So he's not going to go, you know, work at one of those jobs. But he's perfectly fine in his life to go, well, you know, yeah, they should they should have to go, you know, even though they're not getting like what yeah. you were saying, you know, the benefits. They should get benefits, but it's so ingrained And they're disproportionately in Hispanic, Lynette. Well, yes, of course. And it's so ingrained in, in America's Americans' heads, working people, that, you know, we don't deserve those things. You know, oh, if taxes go up, God forbid, if we all get some benefit, we don't deserve it. It's like we are abused people and do not realize how abused we are. 
And I just, it's just so insane to me when I hear it. I came from an abusive family, and it's like, I don't want to play that game. I don't, I want a good life. I want to have good things. I think it's healthy to want to have those things without hurting people. And and all our yeah. taxes can yeah. pay for that, like other countries have done. And we're sitting here acting like, oh, I wonder what we, we could do. How could that work? So... Anyway. Yeah, excellent, excellent rant, Lynette. I, I, all I can do is salute it. Thank you very much. Joan in Arlington. What's up, Joan? Well, I was just wondering if the meat supply is safe at the supermarket, you know. How do you sterilize a bologna sandwich, you know? You, you, <laughs> you yeah, well, you, yeah, yeah, bologna's been pre-cooked, but, you know, I guess the way that you sterilize meat if you're buying it at the store is you cook it because it's going to have... But you got it's not only carrying, possibly carrying the-, the coronavirus pathogen, it's also carrying things like E. coli and listeria and all kinds. Of, I mean, there's all kinds of pathogens in our, in our meat supply. That's why you have to handle it very, very carefully and cook it very carefully. To you, John. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people like, like stuff raw and all that big E-man stuff. So, yeah, I think it's a source. I think just yeah. preparing it and getting it on your hands and on your table and, and uh, you know, Splashing the blood on the walls that you're gonna you're gonna be um, passing stuff around. That's all. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a tough one. It's a, it's a tough one. And and uh, you know the easy answer is Beyond Burgers and Impossible Foods. You know the, the, these meat substitutes. If you must have the meat flavor, Jackie and Sierra Vista. Hey, Jackie, what's up? I'd like to follow up on the previous caller. Is there any research indicating that the coronavirus is transmittable from sick people working in in the meat processing plants to the raw meat to people? I don't know of any, Jackie, and and I don't know of any research in, I mean, you know, they have researched, in fact, there was a guy reporting on it at one of Trump's campaign rallies that he holds every night on TV about two weeks ago. Or maybe, oh. I get, no, it was a week ago. He was the set up Trump's whole thing about, you know, let's shoot up Lysol. You know, he was saying we've done research on how long this virus lasts on plastic and how long it lasts on metal and how long it lasts on paper. But to the best of my knowledge, nobody has done an examination of how long it lasts on meat and whether okay. the virus could infect a dead animal's carcass rather than a living animal. And whether, okay. you know, in meat, obviously, you know, at least red meat, mammal meat, shall we say, I don't know if this is true for fish, but, you know, certainly they've got angiotensin receptors, all, you know, animals have blood pressure too. And the angiotensin receptors are the places where this virus locks into a cell. Whether it can do that with a dead cell or not, I don't have a clue, Jackie, and I know of no research that indicates that. I'd love to see some, and, and I think it's a great question. I just don't know the answer. I'm sorry. Bob in South Dennis, Massachusetts. Hey, Bob, what's up? Yes, Tom, have you seen the uh, documentary Planet of the Humans released last week? I have. I was disappointed is not a strong enough word, but I was deeply saddened by it. And it's filled with misinformation. We're going to have a guest on next week who has really done the research on this and will present a challenge to the movie. I had already emailed both Jeff Gibbs and Michael Moore, encouraging them to have a forthcoming public debate, maybe on Zoom, where everyone could go in, because they need to get this settled in a civil way. Yeah, they need to clean this up. But five million people have watched that movie now on YouTube, and and it is basically a, a propaganda piece for the oil industry, in my opinion. I'm just shocked. And I'm guessing, you know, Jeff Gibbs worked with Michael Moore on a number of his movies and their friends and, you know, Michigan together and all that kind of thing. My guess yeah. is that Michael Moore did this as a favor to Jeff and just slapped his name on it. And maybe he hadn't even seen it or if he had seen it, he never bothered to fact check it. I have a feeling that Michael Moore is going to be backing away from this real fast. If he doesn't, I'll be very, very sad or disappointed or shocked, frankly. So anyhow, Bob, thanks for the call. Deborah in Minneapolis. Hey, Deborah, what's up? Yes, I'm very worried about the undocumented farm workers in our produce fields because they are getting Mm -hmm. sick also. And they're treated probably as bad as the meat workers in the um, meat processing plants. And also I'd like to bring up, you um, uh, mentioned the forks over knives at the beginning of the program. Mm -hmm. And I just finished a book on How Not to Die by Michael Greger. And that Michael is, Greger. He's been on this program before. He's he's really oh, a smart guy. Great. 
Great. Have you seen that his website? Good. It's it's called nutritionfacts.org. His website is just breathtaking. Yes. It's got so many. Yes. He's got, I mean, just, just name the disease, right? Plug it into his search yes. engine, and he's got a little three-minute video about it, and it's just amazing stuff. Nutritionfacts.org. Yes, it's, and it's also really troubled water. Troubled water is a, a, mm. a devastating book about our water system by Seth yeah. Siegel. Yes, yeah. very good. I haven't yeah. read it, but I'm familiar yeah. with it. Yeah, good stuff, Deborah. Thank you very much for the call, and thanks for sharing that. Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind? Don't you think wearing a face mask in grocery stores should be required here in Portland, if not statewide? Yeah, in, in any public place or retail establishment, people should be required to wear a mask. Yeah, so I think that's one area that we're lacking in right now. Yeah. I'm glad you agree. And I'm guessing so, Kate Brown will do that in the next week, by the way, Jeff, particularly as she's I, also looking at, you know, how do we slowly reopen the state? Yeah, I, I hope so. And if she doesn't, maybe the mayor of Portland, uh, Wheeler, would do it for, yeah. for our city. Yeah. And Tom, you let off the show with the topic I wanted to talk about. And it's an issue that has consequences on personal health, public health, climate change, clean water, animal cruelty, land use, et cetera, et cetera. And it never gets a mention on any political stage or platform. And, of course, I'm talking about our insatiable appetite for meat. Common Dreams had a great op-ed this past Sunday by Zoe Wheel titled, What We Choose to Eat Has Everything to Do with This Pandemic and the Next One, where she does a hell of a job drawing the connections, as you often do, between meat consumption and all these related issues. And furthermore, if, if anybody wants to read about the horrors happening on our animal farms right now, The Guardian on Wednesday had an article titled, Millions of Farm Animals Called as U.S. Food Supply chain chokes up and it points out tom that chickens bred in these fact in these animal factories are meant to be slaughtered after being alive for only 45 days or so because after that they die now does that sound like a, a healthy chicken that anybody would want to eat i mean no they have bred these chickens and turkeys as well to the point where they can't even walk around i mean they're 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 so yeah. obese hey it's more it's more meat and, and they shoot them up with the antibiotics, which, you know, mm. Bill Maher had a good it's rant food, on this yeah. last Friday. Yeah, and mm. so it works its way up to, the, uh, to us on the food chain. And, you know, we're entering a post-antibiotic era, which, you know, couple that with viruses, it's not a good situation. So my question, Tom, is twofold. A, maybe you and Louise would consider writing a modern version of Diet for a Small Planet. I've got a title you could use. You could call it Diet to Save a Dying Planet. And B, how do we elevate and promote vegetarianism and veganism as a priority on the national progressive agenda? You know, um, Cory Booker, for instance, is a vegan, but I don't think I ever heard him talk about that when he was, you know, on the national stage. Is the pandemic opening a door to do that? I'm not sure. I doubt it. You know, I mean, meat is such a part of our culture and it's uh, such a part of the growing up experience. And it's also something that has been basically deified on the right. And I don't I don't know where that started. I mean, for years and years, Sean Hannity was sponsored by Ruth Chris Steakhouse promoting eating beef, eating steaks. I, I don't know if that was an influence or it's just this. I think it's the macho thing. You know, I, but, you know, I agree with you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Animal Kind, Remarkable Discoveries About Animals and Revolutionary Ways to Show Them Compassion by Ingrid Newkirk and Jean Stone. This is from the very first chapter. Researchers at Germany's Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology were dumbfounded. The excitement wasn't over a new fossil or the discovery of a previously unknown human ancestor. It was over Rico, a border collie. In experiments conducted in 2004, the very normal-seeming 10-year-old canine had learned to fetch more than 200 objects on command, and moreover, remembered them all a month later. Determined to discover the limits of Rico's abilities, the research team subjected him to a battery of cognitive tests that revealed astounding problem-solving abilities. Rico could easily retrieve from another room items he was familiar with, but when told to retrieve a new item, one he had never heard before, Rico correctly deduced that the unknown name must correspond with an unknown object and correctly retrieved it. The Border Collie's cognitive abilities were subsequently compared to that of apes, dolphins, parrots, and eventually human children. Researchers often end up comparing their animal subjects' intelligence to humans, but is intelligence truly easy to compare animal to human, or even animal to animal? If Rico could use the process of elimination to correctly fetch a tennis ball, does that make him smarter than an Arctic tern who journeys 44,000 miles each year between the North and South Poles? Is a piano-playing cat more intelligent than a chimpanzee who shares 99% of her DNA with humans and can learn sign language? Comparing the intelligence of animals is, in fact, no easier than comparing the intelligence of humans. Who's smarter, Aristotle or Plato? Newton or Einstein? Monet or Manet? The red-lipped batfish or Chinese giant salamanders? The Indian elephant or the African elephant? In the end, ranking the relative intelligence of animals is a futile exercise. What's more, a recent study found that less than 15% of the estimated 9 million species on Earth have been discovered. Who knows what fantastical creatures reside at our ocean's crushing depths, soar high in the stratosphere, or creep deep in the densest jungles? What fantastic intelligence do they display? Or, more so, what fantastic intelligence we can't even comprehend? We often consider intelligence as the only factor in determining which animals deserve compassion and which don't. Yet we're still so limited in our understanding of human intelligence that it makes little sense to calibrate our animal brethren based on how similar their brains are to ours. Or perhaps you could say it's simply not an intelligent way to determine importance. The goal of this book is not to merely question that superiority or to show that animals think and act like us. It's to show how they do not and to honor those differences. How can anyone compare the mental faculties of a gibbon vaulting through the forest with a giant blue whale singing through the deepest oceans? 
Different animals excel at different actions. As we'll see in this book, animals think, navigate, communicate, love, and play in extraordinarily unique ways. However, for many years, scientists believed that intelligence was indeed all that mattered when it came to animals, and that intelligence consisted of a continuum with humans at the most developed end. Every other species could fit neatly into that spectrum, a concept heralded by the great naturalist Charles Darwin, who wrote in his 1871 book, The Descent of Man, that, quote, the difference in mind between man and the higher animals, great as it is, certainly is one of degree and not of kind, end quote. In essence, Darwin meant that because all animals share a common ancestor, they also share the same toolkit of mental abilities, but at different levels. Not a new idea. 2,400 years ago, Aristotle presented his idea of natural ladder, or scala natura. Like Darwin, Aristotle advanced that all life could be conveniently ranked with lesser animals, like worms, on one end, intermediate animals, like dogs and cats, in the middle, and higher animals, such as monkeys and humans, at the far end. During the Middle Ages, Christian theologians expanded on Aristotle's teachings with the great chain of being, a hierarchical scale that began with God at the very top, followed by angels, humans, other animals, plants, and then minerals. Each layer of the chain also had its own hierarchy. Among humans, for instance, kings, aristocrats, and other noblemen were at the top, while peasants were relegated to the bottom. The highest-ranking animals were large carnivores, like lions and tigers, who were untrainable and therefore seen as superior to docile animals like dogs and horses. Even insects were subdivided, with honey-producing bees ranked higher than mosquitoes and plant-eating beetles. Finally, at the very bottom sat snakes, their lowly station, a result of the serpent's deception in the Garden of Eden. Even throughout the 20th century, scientists clung to the notion that animals could be neatly ranked by their human intelligence. Scientists devised increasingly cruel experiments that could serve as universal tests for animal cognition, many of them led by University of Wisconsin-Madison psychologist Harry Harlow. Previously, Harlow was best known for a series of experiments from the 1950s in which he removed infant rhesus monkeys from their mothers and provided them surrogate mothers made from wire. The traumatized monkeys' desperate attempts to be caressed by their inanimate mothers during times of stress became the basis for research into maternal separation, dependency needs, and social isolations. Many historians cite Harlow as a factor in the rise of subsequent animal liberation movements. Animal Kind is the book by Newkirk and Stone. Jerry in Toma, Wisconsin. Hey, Jerry, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Good afternoon. Um, I've got a couple of things that are just bothering me to, to no end. This deal with mm -hmm. Mike Pence not wearing his mask. Well, we know he's an idiot, but what about the people? Well, his wife has come out and said in his defense that he didn't know he was supposed to wear a mask. That's sort of like showing up at a, at a cocktail party wearing, uh, you know, ratty old blue jean shorts and, uh, yeah. and a tank top and looking around and saying, well, gee, it didn't occur to me I should dress up for a cocktail party or showing up at work without your pants on. You know, I mean, it's just yeah. it's like this is this is so crazy. <laughs> but his people were told ahead of time. And why didn't Mayo oh, I know. stick to their guns? You know, Mayo yeah. should have stuck to their guns and said, I'm sorry. Oh, they shouldn't have know? deleted their tweet. I, yeah. I don't even know what you're visiting there for anyway. Yeah. Well, for a and, photo and, op. And, <laughs> yeah. And he got it. And he sure yeah, got and it. Speaking, speaking of photo ops, the, the other thing that's bugging me is Trump with these uh, thousand cadets at West Point that have to go back to fly in an airplane and go back to New York, which is <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, he wants them to go back just for his BS speech, you know. Right. He's he's craving a crowd. And so he's going to yeah. order the military to give him one. Uh, just like he wanted his military parade last November for uh, exactly. Day or Memorial Day. Pence yeah. at least had him separated with the Air Force. Yeah. According to the article I read, Trump wants him nice and tight. In other words, yeah. marching, you know. It just, yeah, it know. just blows my mind. I know. Well, it's, I just wanted to vent, uh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did a fine job of it, Jerry, and I share your concerns and I salute your venting. Thank you for the call. David in Spotswood, New Jersey. Hey, David. My concerns are, and that's why I've been calling your program frequently, is every recession since 1990, I've been told I have to work to midnight and get things done, or if I don't, I'm not going to get fired. Only time I've ever been threatened to get fired over my work 
And I really feel for the people in the meatpacking plant. I think a lot of your callers brought up brilliant things. I just want to bring up two things. Company Towns and John Maynard Keynes. If we would have had this $2 trillion divided up among the American people and asked them to dig a, dig a ditch, it would have been $25,000 per person. And I think the Republicans want to bring back company towns and feudalism. Thank you. Thank you, David. I agree with you. <laughs> I agree. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Joyce Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoy, Gerilyn Halbert, Dave Fulton, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, and Jabberwocky. They all, they all work to make this show work for you. This is the, these are the people who work on this program, and I'm so grateful to all of them. And thank you to you, too. And please share the good word with other people about how they can find our program. Tag, you're it. Get out there, get active. Be good to yourself and your friends. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. It's the Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from The Meat Racket, The Secret Takeover of America's Food Business by Christopher Leonard. Uh, This is from the prologue. Uh, It's titled The Hidden King. Nobody ever visits the stranded little community of Waldron, Arkansas. But even if they did, a tourist would never see the place for what it really is. Most outsiders would be fooled into thinking it was an actual small town. On Thursday at noon, the livestock auction opens in a cavernous barn on the north side of town, drawing crowds of ranchers who haul steel trailers behind their trucks, with cows staring out between the horizontal slats. These events have a rhythm of their own, the clockwork functioning of a small-town economy. But it's all just window dressing. All of it would cease to exist in a moment and have no impact whatsoever on the true Waldron or its true economic reason for being. The real tempo of the town's economic pulse is measured by the coming and going of semi-trucks that roll down Main Street at periodic intervals, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. In the middle of the night, tanker trucks full of animal feed rumble past the empty stores and out onto country roads that lead into the hilly terrain that surrounds town. At dawn, other trucks trundle in from the hills, heaped high with battered metal crates full of chickens that exude clouds of white feathers along the highway. The tempo can be measured in the regular arrival of train cars full of grain and oil seeds that dump their loads at a feed mill that clanks and hums and churns all night, and in the parade of refrigerated trucks that pull up to a slaughterhouse near the feed mill and get loaded with pallets of frozen meat. This is the real functioning of Waldron, Arkansas, and its true reason for being. This is the heartbeat of Tyson Foods. The Tyson plant on the north end of Waldron is the only thing that keeps the town on the map. Appropriately, many residents simply refer to it as the complex. That's because the Tyson plant isn't just a factory. It's more like an entire small-town economy consolidated into one property. The complex contains its own feed mill and hatchery, its own trucking line and slaughterhouse that covers several acres of land and processes about one million dead chickens a week. The complex is like an economic dark star that has drawn into itself all the independent businesses that used to define a small town like Waldron, the kinds of businesses that were once the economic pillars of rural America. Of course, tourists to Waldron would never see the Tyson plant, and not just because it sits on the north fringe of town away from Main Street. Visitors are stopped at its front gate and forbidden from exploring its grounds. So a tourist would have to be content to stroll along the sidewalks downtown, observing the fake Main Street, the deceptive array of little businesses that make it seem like a community. This illusory appearance cloaks Tyson's existence all the way from its roots in rural America to the grocery store shelves and restaurant menus where its products finally reach American consumers. The average shopper is usually fooled when he or she peruses the meat aisle, seeing what appears to be an abundance of choices and products. Tyson brand name wouldn't necessarily stand out with its logo gracing just a handful of products. But the rotisserie chicken slowly turning in its oven, the Bonisi brand pepperoni, the Lady Astor brand chicken cordon bleu, the frozen chicken pot pie, and the right brand bacon all come from the same company, Tyson. And then there is all the unlabeled meat that Tyson floods into the U.S. food system every day. The meat served in cafeterias, nursing homes, fast food restaurants, and suburban eateries where more and more Americans eat their meals. There's a very good chance any of the meat purchased in these places was made by Tyson. Even if Tyson did not produce a given piece of meat, the consumer is really only picking between different versions of the same commodified beef, chicken, and pork 
It is produced throughout a system that Tyson pioneered. Tyson's few competitors have resorted to imitating the company's business model just to survive. This book aims to explore the vast hidden territory between the remote farms and towns like Waldron, where Tyson raises millions of animals, and the final point of contact where consumers buy the company's meat. Unseen between these two poles is a hidden power structure that has quietly reshaped U.S. rural economies while gaining unprecedented control over the nation's meat supply. Just a handful of companies produce nearly all the meat consumed in the United States, and Tyson is the king among them. The company sits atop a powerful oligarchy of corporations that determines how animals are raised, how much farmers get paid, and how meat is processed, all while reaping massive profits and remaining almost entirely opaque to the consumer. Because Tyson and its imitators are based in the geographic and economic fringes of America in forgotten places like Waldron, the company has managed to escape the scrutiny it deserves. While Tyson's operations are remote, the company's business practices affect virtually everyone. About 95% of Americans eat chicken, which means they almost certainly eat chicken produced by Tyson. And then it goes on from there. The book is The Meat Rack, The Secret Takeover of America's Food Industry by Christopher Leonard. 